Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, the combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight announcements, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Cigar Page put together a great offering special for our readers. 60 G's, baby. The team at Bloody Elbow had some laughs thinking about those old school UFC fight bonuses and how far some of those early fighters have come. The 60 G's baby deal from Cigar Page is five 90 plus rated cigars and a travel humidor. This is a value of $90 that Cigar Page is offering Bloody Elbow readers for $25. While that cigar culture is alive and well in the MMA community, it may not be your thing. And it also makes an awesome gift for the holidays. You can grab this deal today at cigarpage.com slash 60 G's baby. That's cigarpage.com 60 G's baby. Welcome back and thank you for listening to episode 272 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes and I'm joined as always by my amazing co-host Victor Rodriguez and today, we're going to look at UFC Vegas 83, and we're also going to discuss UFC Austin, and we're going to look at some headlines. We're actually going to look at the headlines first today, because I figure that we can put UFC Austin in a little box and stick it in the bonus section, because there's a lot of, of uh, external factors that went into UFC Austin, and I am talking about the scuffle between Bobby Green and Armin Sarukian, but we're going to save that part for the last. Right now, let's, let's talk some headlines, and first... We're going to talk to Victor and find out how he's been doing this week. What's up, man? You know, I've been doing okay. I've been doing a lot of cooking, and I will continue to do so. I made polenta for the first time in maybe, <gasps> oh, God, maybe two, three years. I love polenta. It's so good, and I make it extra cheesy, too. I toss mm. in you know, a good amount of butter and then the olive oil for the finish, and then that just makes it you know, with, with, with some some uh, shredded cheese. You know, I cook it in some chicken stock, and it, it's it's still still super creamy. All I got to do is just add a little bit of milk once I warm it up later, and it's gorgeous, tremendous. Uh, I put a, a – I seared a pork loin, injected it with my meat syringe – with a whole bunch of liquids and seasonings and everything delicious, and then put that in the Instant Pot for hours. And that shredded meat is perfect. I'm going to make some brownies tomorrow for me and the boy. Uh, I'll probably make some biscuits uh, over the weekend so I can make some breakfast sandwiches. Um, I am I am in my total just complete cooking mode as of late. And, yeah, I, I, I'm just, like, finding this weird rhythm where that's the, the one thing that makes me happiest. So... That's uh, that that's really where we're at right now. Outside of all the bloody elbow stuff that I've been again, all this weird behind the scenes shit. I keep saying it, you know. It's like I, I wish I could talk more about it sometimes. 
you know, is that there is there is usually some some weird spots that we end up in. But um, I'm I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to be here. This is one of the highlights of my week to be able to do this here with my sis. And uh, yeah, this is great. Well, that sounds awesome. I would like biscuits, please. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's go ahead and talk about some headlines. And I cannot help but look at this big headline we have on Bloody Elbow. Is Gavin Newsom giving UFC and Dana White a Golden State gift for power slap? Now, mm. let me tell you why that is. Because UFC 298 is happening in California. February, it happens at the Honda Center in Anaheim. So we're looking at a SoCal card, but it's been a long time since we've had anything in California. Remember, California is one of the last bastions of a good commission. We have New Jersey, but I'm sort of on the fence about right now because Nick Limbo has even sort of walked some of his statements back. And now we have California who has won welcoming UFC back into the fold with UFC 298. And two, there are two items that are on the docket for a Saturday meeting. They're going to be discussing possible action regarding bare knuckle fighting championships. So I guess bare knuckle is wanting to come to California. And so that is on the table. I don't really mind that so much. Bare knuckle, um... You get to put your dukes up and protect yourself. <laughs> but the other thing that's on the docket for Saturday is discussion and possible action regarding power slap promotions request for a temporary promoter license in order to hold an event using power slap rules pursuant to California Code of Regulations, Title IV, Section 533. So Saturday, when everybody's either focused on boxing or, you know, whatever the fuck, Andy Foster is going to be heading into an athletic commission meeting that could change the landscape of combat sports in general. And if we lose one of our last good commissions, what's left? California is also one of the last commissions that reports payouts too. I I can't put any hopes into this. I don't want to be this negative dude with everything. But we're talking about Gavin Newsom. If you're not familiar with this man and his politics, I'm not going to give you an entire diatribe of it, but I will suffice it to say, the man is a snake. The man is a coward. The man is a very well-packaged and well-manicured image conscious politician that will give to the highest bidder whatever it is they want. And if you don't believe me, look at the recent legislation that Indian Americans were presenting in the state of California to eliminate caste-based discrimination. There was groups, there were there was a group of, of Indian Americans and Indian immigrants that were banding together with Mexican Americans and Mexican immigrants for this effort. And all it took was a couple of donors getting together and grousing, and he immediately folded back on that. And that's the kind of guy he is because that's the kind of move he does. He present progressiveness and immediately just go right where the money's at. And this man wants to be president. He's going to need friends. He's going to need Ari Emanuel. And he doesn't want to piss off Ari Emanuel. 
the fact that they're coming back to California in the first place already gives me pause. Mm-hmm. Now, if you if you've been reading any of the items by the excellent excellent Zach Arnold at Fight Opinion, uh, the the pieces that he's been writing for Bloody Elbow, especially over at Substack Substack, where he's been we've had more of his expanded long form um, items. You'll note that California is in dire straits. California is hurting because they're not getting the kind of money from MMA that they were before. And boxing is also, uh, you know, obviously doing very well at the moment. It's it's a sport that has enjoyed a great amount of health, but it's not enough. And when you have efforts like these, you know, when you have something like this that's slowing down, they've had their their boxing pension fiasco. They've had a lot of things going on that haven't been too great for the combat sports scene. But however, they've got a wealth of fighters in the region, right? Not just in California, but in all these little uh, border areas, right? You got the the fighters up in Oregon. You got the fighters in um, in in Nevada, right next door. Sure, you've got Vegas, but you know some of those cats they go back and forth, and and that's that's. That's affecting how California does business and how things are are going to be affecting their bottom line. So I'm looking at that in aggregate, and I don't like what I'm seeing. The fact that they're going back now specifically is a major problem. And Gavin Newsom's got his eye on bigger things. You might have seen this little rinky-dink-ass debate he just had with Ron DeSantis the other day for no reason because, I mean, neither one of these guys is going anywhere. But – Lest you think that this is all a matter of deviating into political diatribes, folks, the politics of this are important because this is why you can't have separation of sports and politics. I don't want politics in my sports. Well, buddy, politics are shaping sport. This is what happens. If you're a California fan that's frustrated that the UFC hasn't gone back since I can't even fucking remember when – this is why all of these things, this elaborate song and dance, this confluence of clusterfucks that are colliding together, that's why. And so that they're coming back now, I I'm I'm really I'm really not sure what that's going to entail, but I'm fairly certain that that means that they're going to be kind to what TKO puts on the table. And if TKO is asking other jurisdictions to uh, bundle their uh, permission or, or their their uh, permits and, and their licensing to have events for the UFC in a certain state that they also allow power slap. They're not being entirely subtle about that. Mm-hmm. Then guess what? They're probably going to do that in California. And what a fucking time to do that in California in the same year that they've botched the launch of the product that they they basically got booted from TBS and now they're on the the platform of elite losers rumble. Now that they're there after Dana White slapped his fucking wife before the premiere and people might have been confused as to what power slap was referring to after that. We already got our jollies and jokey jokes off of that. We've already we haven't chastised the man enough. But the reason I bring this shit up, did you see that clip from last week? What? Did you see the power slap oh, yes. sl- yes. snippet where this guy slaps the shit out of the dude, the guy gets knocked out on his feet, and on his way down, bends forward, his head hits the table for extra mm-hmm. impact, then he falls the fuck back. And this was heavyweight. This was a big motherfucker. And he wasn't looking like the most athletic and spry man in the world, so you got other health factors to consider. In light of that, they're going to come back to California and, and try to weasel in power slap. Mm-hmm. After all this, 
after all the the the, the expose of how this whole thing started and all the fighters that oh I didn't really understand that they were going to sign up for this and all the CTE studies and concerns, man, they're going to do it. They're going to get it. They're going to ask for power slap, and Gavin's going to give it to him because that's that's who he is. So make peace with that fact now. But uh, as far as them, you know, hopefully having more events in California, I'd imagine that the UFC TKO, I'm sure they'll play nice. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that they don't allow power slap, but, you know, my head is telling me they're going to allow power slap. Well, I, I mean, Gavin's not the most pop- popular guy, and, you know, he's he is practically... Democrat or not, he is practically running things like a Republican. He really is. So, you know, when you try to be that guy that makes everybody happy and end up pissing everybody off in the process, you know how you overcome that? More money in your coffers. That's what you do. And that's what he's fishing for. And sometimes that money just come to you. You just got to wait for somebody to make the right offer. And these guys will make the offer. Our next topic and this one's kind of near and dear to me because me and uh john nash just recorded an episode on this two nights ago that is running live (laughs) today and that is the guy davis report that came out in discovery uh for the ufc antitrust case that came out this week now Ever since the UFC's case ended up getting class certification to their dismay, they went, they immediately appealed it and were denied by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. So then they, they, uh, submit a request to reopen discovery, which was very quickly denied. On top of that, the Honorable Judge Bulware strongly hinted that he would deny summary judgment. And he also said that if the plaintiffs win their case, that injunctive relief is back on the table. And that's a big deal because that means that the judge can basically order the UFC to stop doing things or start doing things, etc. He basically can order them to change their behavior in business. That's a huge deal. Now, since all of this has happened, since class certification has happened, we have been getting a literal avalanche of discovery, documents, text messages, emails, the whole nine. So the plaintiffs, they hire this guy, his his name is Guy Davis, mm. <laughs> and he Got is a, guy. a forensic accountant. He is a forensic accountant with 28 years of experience. Let me tell you how this 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 whole report worked. It's 73 pages long. The first 12 pages are his accomplishments, his accolades, all of his credentials, 12 fucking pages of it. This guy is legit. So he goes in and he does forensic accounting of the UFC's books. And there were a few things that stood out in there. The first one on page 13 is that affliction was listed as an acquisition by the UFC. Now, the way that that shook out 
when Affliction folded, they were already in touch with the UFC and the UFC uh, acquired some of the assets. Well, a bunch of the assets, enough for it to be considered a full acquisition. I'm looking at it and I'm seeing, okay, you have WEC, WFA, Pride, Strike Force, and, and then you and then Affliction is sitting there and it's right in the middle of all those names. So I'm like, wow, okay, this this is something that most people, not named John Nash, don't know. Most people are under the assumption that Josh Barnett pissed hot and basically killed Affliction because they go and go on with their main event. Now the pissing hot part it's rumored to be true. I mean, we never actually had um, any results or anything like that. A commission didn't come out and say anything. It was all kept very, very hush hush. Mm-hmm. But everyone was under the assumption that affliction just basically folded up. But under the table, the UFC acquired all the assets. So there's something. Now, the other thing, as far as their acquisitions, that was important to note is the acquisition of WFA. Now, WFA, if you remember, their last event was an event called King of the Streets. It happened, I want to say, yeah, it was at the uh, LA Forum. But there were two separate transactions. The first one was for uh, right around $3.2 million, and that was what the, the purchase price was. And then there was a second payment of the, another $3.2 million, and that was for a confidentiality agreement and a non-compete agreement. And non-compete was a big deal for them. They wanted to make sure that WFA wasn't putting on shows in Vegas because they wanted to protect the Vegas atmosphere for themselves. They literally took WFA off the map because of where they were and because they were putting on shows there and they didn't want anyone else putting on shows in Las Vegas other than themselves. It was also the same language that was used when they when they purchased Pride. Like before the Pride purchase happened, they were trying very hard to keep Pride out of the United States. That that second to last show that they did, um they were trying very hard to not let that happen. The one that happened in the States where, you know, Fedor beat up Mark Coleman and Mark Coleman's daughters are in the in the ring oh, screaming yeah. and crying with them. Yeah, that yeah. one. And then there were two other things to note. And once I'm done with all this, I'm going to turn it over to Victor so that he can give you his spitball take on all of this information that I'm dumping on him. So we have two items right now. We have WFA sale and we have, you know, affliction actually being an acquisition. It was listed as an acquisition right alongside all the rest of the organizations that the UFC purchased and then put under the grave. A few weeks back, we talked about the owners paying themselves big bonuses. But what we did not know at the time until this report came out was that how, where the money was coming from. We were under the assumption they were just, you know, paying themselves with, with their fat ass revenues. But no, they were actually taking out loans 
to pay themselves bonuses and pay themselves uh, distributions. No, yes. come on. I Taking thought it was because Dana was such a hard worker that never stopped grinding. Taking that. out loans to pay themselves hundreds of millions. One of Dana's payments was $115 million. Lorenzo and Frank, $547 million each. The whole crux of that report is centered around that. Once upon a time, in 2010... Lorenzo Fertitta gave an interview to ESPN where he bragged about paying the fighters $250 million up to that point. But when you weigh out how much they paid themselves as opposed to how much they paid the fighters, the the, the tally came in just under $250 million. It was something in the neighborhood of, of $248.6 or $249.6, just a hair under $250 million. Ask me how much the owners and shareholders made. <laughs> it was almost a billion dollars. It was an 80% difference between what the fighters made and what they paid themselves. Oh, I'm glad Mark Cuban needed that. He, but he probably didn't have lunch money that day. This one is right up Victor's alley because he oh. hates a wasteful motherfucker. He hates that. <laughs> yeah, he okay. does. He does. Victor <laughs> hates waste yes, so when i say that the ufc spent nine million dollars a year on using not one not two not three not even four but they're five fucking corporate jets oh, nine million dollars a year the ufc should basically only be using their 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 corporate jets if they're using them properly for official business that it should come out to about 1 to 1.5 million a year but they're doing 9 million a year <laughs> that just seems awful and i know of those four things that i just talked about that victor is going to zero in on that fourth one probably first because like i say this guy hates a wasteful person. I just, I'm curious as to how often they actually use, like, five? Five. 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 Two, I, two I can kind of get. Five? Five. That seems so weird. I just don't understand. I'm more confused than I am upset at that last one, frankly. As, as a guy who hates waste, that's part of what ends up happening. You know, you're just mm -hmm. more like, what? I'm, I'm trying to kind of do this, this weird calculus. Like, is there any way that could be justified? I don't really know how you do that and it just with a straight face like now nah, this this is fine this is good I, I don't get that but look at who we're talking about but i do want to address the other points that you made and i want to start at the top with josh barnett because he himself has said this in the past and i believe him to this day he said something real intriguing about this when he mentioned that and obviously i'm paraphrasing because i can't find the quote now but he said um you know you don't think it's a little weird how everything folded so fast and was immediately under the ufc you don't think that when a company goes under, we've seen mergers and acquisitions and takeovers happen. They don't happen overnight like this. That shit was planned. That shit was already being worked out. And they, I remember hearing rumblings that that was something that, you know, after it was all over, like, oh, no, they were planning that a while ago where they had already, you know, the UFC had already made uh, some sort of uh, effort to reach out to do something uh, to, you know, not just take them out of business but just like you know take them under the wing buy some of their fighters out all this and now we have confirmation of that which is great 
We see not only that they acquired Joe Lozon and, uh, you know, Vitor Belfort and a couple other contracts that they had there. I believe uh, Paul Buentello was under under affliction at the time. So uh, that's cute. That's nice. And yeah, I, I, I forgot completely what you had mentioned as far as the positive test. Well, where was it? Exactly. Where was the test? I, I, I totally forgot about that, that that had never surfaced. Yet his legacy, Barnett's legacy, is so stained over mm -hmm. this, you know, because obviously he had the drug test failure in the UFC as heavyweight champion. Fine. But then the affliction thing, he gets so much stick over that and he gets blamed for the downfall of an organization. And again, Barnett himself paraphrasing here, if one fight tanking in a main event is enough to destroy your entire organization. What fucking foundation was it built on? This thing wasn't made to last. Now was it? Something else is going on that isn't being discussed. And well, there you go. That's the something else. Now, I do remember WFA being at least either founded or partially owned by John Lewis, part of the Dirty mm -hmm. Dozen. And yes. if those folks that are not familiar, the Dirty Dozen was a name that was given to the first 12 American jiu-jitsu black belts uh, in the United States. Lewis uh, was a very prestigious grappler who had uh, set up shop in Vegas, and um, he was apparently the uh, head honcho, whether that was a figurehead position or he was actually administrating, I, I really can't say. But he also trained the Fertitas and Dana White for a while. So I do think it's kind of interesting that, you know, maybe maybe this was one of those things where they didn't want the competition, but they also saw that opportunity to throw their friend a bone and, uh, you know, buy him out. And this way they get to keep their little bit of sovereignty, which is interesting even more so when you think, well, the WFA wasn't really doing numbers like that. That one, the King of the Streets at the Forum, man, that one had everybody on it. Rampage. I mean, just so many. Machida was was mm -hmm. under contract with them. That's how they acquired Machida as well, right? That's right. I believe so. Didn't he fight for them or wasn't he under contract with them, if I remember correctly? That yeah, because Machida move? fought Tiger White on that last card. I mean, Boy. let me read you this card. I mean, it oh, is yeah. a gangbusters card. Rampage Jackson versus Matt Lindley. This was when they were both fucking prime because this was in 2006. Yes, Boz that's right. Wooten, uh, versus this is Ruben Villarreal. Oh, Warpath, won. right. Yeah. That was his last fight. As a matter of fact, he won with leg kicks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, was too, Machida. he was too busted up to do anything else at that point. Yeah. Leoto Machida versus Tiger White. Uh, Mayhem Miller versus Lodun Sincade. I don't know if you wow. guys remember yeah, Lodun, I remember Lodun, the Vanilla yeah. Gorilla. Yeah. Um, we had Ivan Zalaveri versus, uh, he defeated Art Santori. We had, oh my God, Rico Rodriguez and Ron Waterman. We had Holy Razor shit. Rob. Razor Rob was in there against Harris Sarmiento. We had what? Marvin Eastman versus Jorge Oliveira. Mark, what? Hey, this is what, this was the, the, the curtain jerker. Let me tell you the curtain jerker. Get the jerker. fuck out of here. Martin Campman was the curtain jerker. Oh, oh Christ. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. They Denmark's were doing own. good. He lives down the street from Chris Reaney probably at this point. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> color commentary was provided by Bill Goldberg and Barry Tompkins uh, from HBO Boxing. I oh, mean, wow. they had a pretty good deal. Um, Kevin James, he cornered Boz Rutten. That's not a surprise. I that, that's that. I mean, They're it's very in close. a way it, it kind of is like for a long time. Yeah, it, it's it's a little it's a little. I guess it is a little surprising because like, damn, he's cornering. Like, I'm not surprised that they're friends because I know they train together. But Boss was, um, 
you know, Kevin was 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 like heavy into Boss's Jam, but yeah, that's that's really funky. Like, imagine, wow, man. And this was this was Kevin James, um, you know, King of Queens height, era uh, at the height of King at of the Queens. height King of yes. Queens days. Yes, yes, that was very much when it was like soaring. And what was funny was that Boz Rutten, um, he was actually supposed to fight Chemo. And yeah. Chemo had to pull out. And so that's how Ruben Vill- Villarreal uh, ended up in there. Wow. Um, Boz wow. ended up failing a post-fight drug test for painkillers. Yeah, because like I said, he's, his body was a mess. Even he's admitted it. His body yeah. was, was all messed up at the time. But they were putting on really solid shows. This wasn't like... Bellator, where that they're taking the UFC castoffs or anything. These guys were literally coming over from Pride. They were still in Pride because Pride was still a thing. They were coming over from Pride and all over the place and competing just wherever the fuck because Pride let them. Yeah. So, you know, you end up with King of the Streets. We also had lots of pretty good Bodog cards during this same era. Yes, with that's Pride right. With Pride fighters going over because, you know, Pride was already experiencing by 2006. They were really experiencing experiencing those pains of Saki Kibara, you know, mismanaging their funds and whatever else was going on over there with uh, Yakuza and everything else that's been rumored. But in any event, these were the days and these were the days when small promotions could keep up in their contract documentation of that buyout. Um, there, there, there was reasoning behind it, and it was because they wanted to protect the Vegas scene. Well, the final thing I wanted to address was the money pull. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's just such a good god, man. All this shit about we pay the fighters more than anybody. We do, dude. How much do you really? You, you're mm-hmm. everybody talking about hard work and the promoters. They really put everything together. Like, yeah, but. Look, you can say whatever you want about Bellator. They did have a relatively low overhead and they weren't over leveraging themselves themselves with loans the way the UFC did. And that's one of the components that a lot of people seem to have just they just overlooked that every single time. People don't realize or understand that a lot of the financial boons that the UFC has had is a result of them getting loans and then immediately taking out another loan to pay off that one and then fattening their 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 coffers with it. And well, Good to know that that's what happened, man. It's not, you got to remember something. Rich people ain't better than you, man. They're not always smarter. They're not always working harder. A lot of the time, it's the fact that they just happen to know a lot of people. They already have money, and that helps them get even more money. And that's what the Fertitas did to get that elbow grease moving. Yep. Absolutely. Now, I have to go back really fast to WFA because I am noticing one thing here. Matt Linlin, who was the B-side of that main event, absolutely the b-side made 70 fucking thousand dollars for that fight in 2006 (sighs) and right here in this wiki it says this exhibited that it was possible to receive a sizable payday outside of the ufc well, if that's what they call sizable, sure. I mean, Affliction was playing paying guys a little better, but you know, Affliction don't wasn't be mad at around that. in two thousand and six. No, though. true, true. And WFA was no Affliction. WFA was much smaller, but yeah. they 
ended up with funding and they were willing to put it where it counted with the fighters. Lots of promotions out there were doing this. You know, Strike Force was a prime example. But when the uh, the people that own the San Jose Sharks had a majority stake in Strike Force, and yeah. when they pulled that funding, that was what killed Strike Force. It wasn't through mismanagement or lack of viewership or anything like that. It was because one of the the primary financiers pulled the money. Right. So, anyways, I just thought that the the Guy Davis report was quite interesting. Now, last thing um, I want to talk about real quick is I have an open thread up right now today. Yes. It's going to be every Tuesday I'll be putting up an open thread. But today's open thread is should John Jones be stripped? And as I was going through the comments, I could not help but see my brother here in the trenches. <laughs> hey, listen, your man, your man got to where he is. I, I'm a soldier. I started in the comments. I live and die in the comments. Best fucking believe. <laughs> so I'm going to read something. My whole thing is he's only got one win at heavyweight and it was a lackluster affair i have to disagree it was not lackluster um at that against an underwhelming and massively underperforming gun was he massively un underperforming up to that point no he was not from a technical perspective yes yes he was no he was not he was he was he, he was gun shy and letting John do stuff. He wasn't cutting him off. He was kind of giving him space where he should. Oh, have. I thought you meant in the what I was talking about in the lead up before the fight. He wasn't he he wasn't an underperformer or underwhelming um, up to that point. Sure, when he got into the fight with John Jones, sure he underperformed, underwhelmed, got scared, whatever. But that's on him. That's not on John. No, no, no. That yeah. part is that part yeah. isn't on him. But I mean, you know, it's like. I don't know, man. Even even John himself didn't. Did you, you know? We we've addressed this before. Did did he really look that? I think he looked in that good. Oh, sure he did. He looked but, good. But enough. you have to consider what what Gone did in there. But sure, John looked like he smoked him out, and that's what he did. But let me finish reading something. Right. Tom's actually fought his way up the division and is healthy while ready to compete now. It's also in the UFC's best interest to have a UK Euro champ to maximize marketing efforts in the region. So it would make some sense to do so if John's going to be on the shelf for that long. Problem is, they'd be upsetting one of their last remaining reliable pay-per-view draws. That came from my brother here. I don't disagree with what you say about Tom. But one thing we have to consider is it's heavyweight. So really, we have no fucking idea how good Tom really is or how good John really is because John was looking pretty limited at the end of his light heavyweight run. All of his last fights were underwhelming and underperforming to use Victor's <laughs> That's a words. nice way of putting, that's a nice way of saying, yeah, man, he probably shouldn't have won them shits. <laughs> and then you get to heavyweight where, what have we always said about heavyweight? It's the weakest division, the weakest, probably weaker than women's featherweight, which is no more. Say it, say it with me, Steffi. Abolish heavyweight on three. Ready? One, two, three. Abolish Ab heavyweight. There we go. Good job. <laughs> it's heavyweight, so... Who cares? 
I loathe everything John Jones is outside of the cage, but inside the cage, until he is, you know, soundly defeated, until it's in black and white, as long as he's winning, he's the GOAT. This is personal opinion. For me, he's the GOAT. It pains me to say that because I'm not a fan of John Jones, but in my opinion, that is he. He is him. He is the GOAT. And for the GOAT, you kind of give a little bit of leeway. Listen, he is expected to be out for eight months, not 18, eight. It won't be a full year. From the day, the date that it was announced, which was October 25th, I think it was October 25th, something like that. But anyways, October 28th, that's a date I have committed to memory. That was the day he had surgery. For one year out from surgery is October 28th, 2024. If nothing happens in that time, if he can't come back, sure, strip him, make him vacate, whatever. But give him that year. We actually had a barometer once upon a time and it was one year. That was our measuring stick. Somewhere along the way in the past six, seven, eight, nine years, it's become much more arbitrary. And now the UFC just says, eh, you get a year, but you only get six months. You get 10 months, but you get 18 months. Conor McGregor, you just, you get however long you want. That's how it works now. But because in my eyes, John Jones is the GOAT, I feel that that gives him a little bit of wiggle room. So I am of the opinion, no, let's not strip him. But I do think that it should be Aspinall that gets to fight him first. Because Aspinall has the goddamn belt. Mm. Why are we going to have him fighting Bowlegged Lou? You really think that's what they're going to do? They're going to make... really do you really think that John Jones is going to come back and they're going to be like, well, we did give him we did say Stipe and we are still saying Stipe, but we changed our minds. We're going to give it the, we're going to give Tom that shot. Nope. They want John to be able to have a winnable fight. That's why mm. they're they're forcing Stipe on us. Did you see Stipe at that that last event? Um, he, he wasn't at UFC Austin. It was. Uh, I guess it was. Yeah, what was it? UFC 295. What was he doing? I didn't. I don't think he I saw was it. there. And somebody got a clip of him walking, and he's limping, and he looks like an old man, like he's walking, like he just had a fucking hip replacement. And and John himself has said, "When I come back, I'm fighting Stipe, and that's it." You know what? If John wants to prove that he's the 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 badass motherfucker that he you know he claims to be. Fight these guys. Fight Tom Aspinall. Fight Sergei Pavlovich, even though he's coming off a loss. Fight the guys that are considered dangerous. Because you are not the most dangerous man on earth if you refuse to fight the rest of the most dangerous men. Well, you know, if you go a little further in the comments, you'll notice, I think it was Tim Bissell I was replying to. I said, you know, John Jones should be used to getting stripped by now. So, I mean, it it's makes true. sense. It's true. It is And true. speaking of stripping, I think every strip club in Albuquerque should have a no homers policy for John Jones until this happens. Not for any personal matter, just just for me. Like, no, I don't want this man to have any excuses. I don't want him. I don't want him having no drunk driving. I don't want getting into no trouble. OK, I don't want to have this shit delayed again, because what happens if he if he trips over his own dick again? And then he's out for even longer. 
Do you strip him then? What has to happen? I want to know. Okay, as far as if he does bad things, I have no problem with that. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, you got to wonder, like, what's it going to take? Like, all right, I get it. You, some people might find it to be a bit soon. And I understand that completely. I, I, I you know, it, it may seem a little heavy handed. But my my whole point with what I said wasn't so much like, yes, strip him now. It was more of like, if it happens, am I going to be mad? Nah, not really. <laughs> not really. Not even because of some personal dislike or whatever, because I very, very openly explain my biases against him i i really don't like him as a person but that doesn't mean that when he's mistreated or you know when something unfair happens i'm gonna sit here and be like well that's good because you know it happens to him today but it's gonna happen to someone i like tomorrow you got to remember that you know you got to be an ethical hater so um yeah i i think that's really what the the main thing that i'm i'm looking at from this that any talk of this stripping him and all that it's all coming from tom no one in any serious position dana white's not going to talk about it hunter campbell's probably going to hand wave it away like no one no one is going to really do that to someone who as i mentioned in that comment is a reliable he's not the biggest pay-per-view draw they've ever had but he's consistent Mm -hmm. he's solid you know that that guy's going to make you some money they don't want to mess up that formula so title or not he's still going to bring in that revenue but you want to keep him happy because the last thing you want to do is have him grouse and will he come back? Won't he? Do you want that fucking drama again? Especially when John's so bad at it. No, no, you don't. You want to leave that nice. You want to make sure everything here has some harmony to it. If eventually they stick with the plans that they've had so far of having John come back against Stipe and nobody else, fine. So be it. Anton, actually, I think he was one of the first comments. Anton made a great point, too. Both of these belts are fake anyway. Everybody <laughs> knows Francis is still the king, baby. That's right. Do what the fuck you want. He's still the fucking man. So, you know what I mean, baby? Like, what are we doing? What are we really doing here? I don't think it's it, it's not something that I'm so invested in to be, like, upset about. But I am interested in how all of these pieces are going to fit together. All right. So, anyways, y'all should go over and check out my open thread. Get in on the comments. Give give Victor some static. Argue, fight. I will every last every last fucking one of you. I will fart in your dinner. Let's go. <laughs> oh my god. Uh we are going to take a look at UFC Vegas 83, which surprisingly is not a bad card for an Apex card. I was so fucking shocked that I was able to pull five good fights out for us to look at. Five from a Vegas card, from an Apex card. Mm -hmm. How is that? I don't know, man. Mick Maynard is giving this for Christmas, you know, so, you know, happy holidays to you, Mick. That's the only thing I can think of is that they're in the holiday spirit, but we have five fucking good fights here. So let's, let's take a look at them. All right. First off, Tatsuro Taira versus Carlos Hernandez at Flyweight. I am surprised this is so far down on the card. It's like the first or second. No, it's the second fight on the card. I don't know why, but holy mother of God, Tatsuro Taira all the way. I'll tell you what it is. I think I think it's probably to get it early so some of the Japanese viewers can get it in the, at a more reasonable time. Mm. I think it's probably that. But, I mean, I don't know. It's it's weird because he's always on super early. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing I can think of. You notice that they do that with some of these Asian fighters. They they put them on, like, super, super duper early in, like, the opening of prelims. And it's it's 
I don't know. Well, but the point is, look, Hernandez, pretty tough guy, but like, what are we doing, man? Tyra is the future. Yeah. All right. That's what it is. This is this is. I don't want to call it a squash match because I don't want to disrespect the other dude. But like, yo, tune in to the Tatsuro Tyra show because that is exactly what you're gonna get, and that show is pretty fucking good. What Victor meant was, I don't want to shit on the other guy, but he's gonna get his ass stomped. <laughs> he he very well might. He very best best believe. Yes. Uh, Mookie is also taking Tyra. Now we get to middleweight. Now middleweight is a shitty division, but there are some bright spots <laughs> in middleweight, and I think yeah. both of these guys are bright spots. This is a very very well matched fight. Andre Muniz versus Jun Young Park. That's a good fight, and it's well-matched. Junyong Park is a tough son of a gun. Andre Muniz, man, he's he's pretty well-rounded. I'm taking Muniz, but Junyong Park could absolutely upset the apple cart here. He's done it before. Yeah, Park is tough as shit, though. Mm -hmm. And yes, we know, we understand the maxim that toughness only takes you so far. However, however, in this case, man, uh, he's he's... He's capable of grinding something out here, yes. negating the submission threat to a degree. I don't know how far and how long he can do that for, but I, I'm, I'm certainly in favor of finding out. Yeah. And uh, I, I think it's going to be reasonably a, a reasonably good fight. I don't think it's going to be a barn burner, but certainly from a technical perspective, right. it's going to be worth checking out. Yeah. But I'm going to go with Muniz. Same, same. And Mookie is as well. I mean, Muniz is absolutely the smart choice here, but it's a good match for him. I feel like they, they are giving him winnable fights, but not giving him ham and egg tomato cans because that is not Jun Young Park. It's a winnable fight, but it's not going to be... Watch, I'm going to say he's not going to be a pushover and Andre Muniz is going to go out there and snatch a guillotine hey, in like man, 13 listen, seconds. It's the... It's the fight game, bro. It's listen. <laughs> he'll tweak his nose and end the fucking fight. I mean, you don't know. So I mean, don't feel bad if you end up being wrong. Like it's okay. Look, you see what I do? I eat L's on the regular. You know what I do? I sit back in the corner and stay wrong, baby. What the fuck are you gonna do to me? Who's better than this? Come on now. <laughs> oh, I'm taking Andre, but I swear to God, he better not just go out there and murdelate him in like 15 seconds. I need a whole fight here. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, it, it, you, the, the pacing on these is atrocious enough. You might as well. All right. Now we're going to get to the fight that I'm pretty sure Victor is most excited about. Murder G is fighting Alan Nascimento. Now, Alan Nascimento is not the part of this that Victor loves. It's Murder G. Obviously, <laughs> his name is Sumadurji, but Victor likes to call him Murder G. And he's a, a fighter that Victor very much enjoys watching. I'm a keeper Ruch and Nascimento's pretty good. I, I I enjoy watching him too, but not to that's not why we're here. Exactly. <laughs> no, 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 no. Love me some motherfucking murder G boy. That's right. That dude is good. That that who is the dude that with that, that country boy that, that beat his ass? Was uh, was it Schnell? I no. think it was Matt Schnell he lost against, and that's yes, sensational. Yes, that was when year, Matt think, Schnell right? basically pulled an undertaker. Fuck, <laughs> man. But that was still an extraordinary it performance. It sure was. You and know, no shame. And the, you know what? The reason why he uh, Victor calls him Murder G is because this is a violent, vicious man. And his name kind of sounds like it too. Yes. So I mean, and if he if he really like, I would be so honored if he embraced that as his nickname. Like oh I'd God, be so Murder thrilled, G, but he probably would be, wouldn't. He's would too so nice cool. to do that. Still, that would be awesome. 
<laughs> All right, next up, a fight nobody's asked for, but we're getting it anyways. Anthony Smith versus Khalil Roundtree Jr. Khalil Roundtree Jr. is better than the sum of his parts. I do feel that way. I, I feel like he's getting a little better, but then sometimes he just takes a step back and I'm like, why? Why did you do that? Hmm. But anyways, I'm taking Khalil Roundtree because Anthony Smith is like a shell of himself these days. So I love me some Anthony Smith, but you got to remember, man, a lot of this shit boils down to one thing. Who do you trust? Mm hmm. And I don't know that I can trust Anthony Smith, not because he's not a good fighter anymore, but because I don't know that his body won't betray him anymore. That's at the some key. At some point, he's either going to run out of gas or he's going to take too much damage and you're just going to be there going, God damn, I feel bad for my brother out here. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, it's not a matter of like having pity for a grown ass man. It's just. You 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 know, you just you see somebody that that you, that means well, that does well. But they're just, they're just not, they just have that shit luck, man. They're just, they keep falling apart. And it ain't their fault. Anthony Smith is the definition of a killer be killed fighter. How many finishes does he have on his record? Almost all of his wins are finishes. Mm -hmm. Who the fuck does that in this day and age to remain consistent on that front? Problem is a lot of his more recent losses have been devastating mm -hmm. to the point where talk about whether or not he should retire starts to make a whole lot of sense. And I know he gets mad at that. Anthony, if you're listening, please don't be mad at me. Oh, who am I kidding? He's not listening to this shit. But Mick Maynard is. Hi, Mick. Love you. <laughs> point is, point is though, point is though, you look at Khalil Roundtree and the corners that that man has turned and the evolution that he's had and the strides that he's made ever since he spent that time in Thailand and sharpened up his striking, that man has become a problem. And his wrestling defense can be good, but it depends on what kind of wrestler he exactly. takes on. Exactly. And, and that's he, why I was saying he's not the sum of his parts. Right. For the most part, sometimes he is like when he takes a step backward, then he's like this. He's like Humpty Dumpty in a thousand pieces. Right. So that's like that's where I'm really thinking. Can he can he go in there against an Anthony Johnson? Uh, Anthony Johnson. Listen to me. Oh, my Anthony God. Smith. Anthony Smith. That is that is older, clearly on the back end of his career doesn't have the sort of explosive takedown game doesn't really need it because he can work more of a trip takedown game and and work from the clinch there but then you do you really want to do that against khalil roundtree who's got a venomous fucking clinch you know like that's i don't mm, you better game plan the fuck out of this one i hope he's in the lab with mark montoya cooking up some real special because otherwise it's gonna be a short night at the office for that motherfucker mm-hmm uh, Mookie is also taking Khalil Roundtree Jr. And then we get to the main event, Song Dong taking on Chris Gutierrez. That's a mm. great fight. Yes, Chris it Gutierrez is. is a banger. Song Dong is a banger. This is just wow. I I really enjoy this this main event. It sucks that it's gonna be like at O Dark Hundred. I will not be watching this live, but I will definitely go back and watch the main event for That's sure. That's right. That's right. Sunday taking... morning warriors arise. Yes. Arise like the chicken from Aqua Teen Hunger I will Force. text you, you as soon as I'm up watching it. Real ones know. You yeah. you know me. I'm gonna be up at, at before dawn. <laughs> and yeah. it's like you motherfuckers wonder when I sleep. Never. That's when, okay? That's when you just stop asking me these bitch ass questions. You want me watching the fights, yes or no? And that's what's gonna happen. And I know this is gonna be fun. Like this is I'm really like genuinely happy. 
to see this as an apex card. You'd, you'd hope that so many more of them would be like this, but you know, you, you take what you can. These are sausage making cards. And I'm glad that if we're getting something near the end of the year, that's going to be stuck in the warehouse. At least it's this. Yeah. So I'm taking Song Yadong. Mookie's taking Song Yadong. Victor, are you? I am. Yes, yes, indeed. All right. So we are unanimous in all of our picks. No movement will be noted next week. But just so you guys know, I came in last last week because I decided to pick Benil Dariush like a dumb fuck. Oh, stop. And that's No. That's going to bring us to our bonus section. So right about now, if you are a subscriber, you just sit right here and we're going to talk a little bit about UFC Austin and we're going to talk about the the skirmishes that happened between Bobby Green and Armin Sarukian. And um, if you're not a subscriber, this would be a great opportunity for you to remedy that because subscribers help us stay in business. And I know that I say that every week, week in and week out, but it couldn't be more true. That is how we survive, how Bloody Elbow stays afloat. So if you can find it in your heart and in your wallet to throw us a little bit, please do. If you can't, we would love for you to continue listening because we appreciate you as well. So thank you and stick around. We'll be right back with the bonus content. To access the bonus content of this show, you must be a paid subscriber. To do that, go to bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com and subscribe today. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcasts and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.